The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please, hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Behavioral Corner. It's me again, Steve Martorano. What we do here uh, on this podcast is talk about everything. I I love the idea that we're a podcast about everything, even though that, that doesn't sound very humble. Podcast about everything because everything ultimately affects our behavioral health. And we're lucky. We run into a bunch of interesting people, and we hope you're becoming informed about a lot of these issues, whether it be substance abuse disorder and its treatment, or in general, your uh, wellness, your your mental, uh, physical, and spiritual well-being. So uh, if you're just finding us, you know, wherever podcasts are, look for Behavioral Corner. It is made possible by our underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. You'll hear more about them a little bit down the road. So let me tell you briefly, real quickly, before I introduce my our guest, we're going to talk about uncertainty. Uncertainty is with us as a normal course of things. You'd have to be very foolish to think that you're absolutely able to predict everything that's going to occur on any given day, much less the rest of your life. So certainty is with us, surely as the air we breathe. There is a sense, though, among some of the people I've been reading and talking to, that we may be in the midst of uncertainty on steroids, uh, or the phrase that caught my attention, which is what we'll talk about today, radical uncertainty. And again, just before I introduce Matt, let me share with you the most recent example of what I'm talking about, an essay from the New York Times just yesterday. And I quote from the Times, for good reason, humanity now faces a confluence of Challenges unlike any other in its history. Climate change, rapidly altering the conditions of life on our planet. Tensions over Ukraine and Taiwan have revived the specter of a conflict between nuclear powers and the breakneck development of artificial intelligence are raising serious concerns about the risk of AI-induced global catastrophe, among other things. This troubling situation calls for new perspectives to make sense of a rapidly changing world and work out where we are headed. I sum that up to mean radical uncertainty. And we've brought somebody in who's impacted by that in his practice. Matt Sosnowski is the uh, founder and director of uh, Philadelphia Talk Therapy, a counseling practice that serves the Philadelphia area uh, in person and the Washington, D.C. area remotely. He will he will give us a, a bit more background on his expertise. He's a psychotherapist, and uh, we welcome him to the Behavioral Corner. Matt, let me apologize for that long-winded introduction. No, no worries, Steve. <clears throat> At least uh, you picked a manageable task for us to handle. We should be able to wrap this up pretty quickly. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it a lot. You know, I was looking around for someone to talk about this, because as I said, when I first saw the phrase radical uncertainty, it was in an economic context. I know nothing about economics, but I know what economic models are supposed to do. Economic models are supposed to be able to predict the future economically so that we can adjust our economy accordingly. And 
the phrase that struck was, it's not working so well. That's why these economic models keep failing and people going, well, how did that happen? Well, the models were off and people were behaving like people. And we had, you know, we have huge messes that we have to clean up. And he used the phrase radical uncertainty. And I thought immediately, well, if economics is experiencing radical uncertainty, so are the rest of us. And what does that mean for behavioral health? So as a, uh, a therapist and a clinician, tell us how that's impacting what you do. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover between what you quoted, Steve, and what I see. So I, I see largely young and emerging adults, so college-age uh, individuals, 20s, 30s. And as I get into my 40s, I'm seeing more and more 40-year-olds, only seems fitting. And yeah, I, I hear a lot of the same things, uh, but not just those things. So political, global political discord, including the war in Ukraine, most notably, but domestic, and in general, the rise of authoritarianism uh, around the globe, climate for certain, and what used to be, I think, anxiety about our future and our existence is now very much a daily occurrence, wildfires, floods, you name it. You know, one thing that wasn't mentioned in there that I think young people experience and in particular, I'm, I'm thinking 20s, 20 year olds, 30 year olds is uh, financial uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So things like debt and student loans, the um, what feels like incomprehensible wealth inequality that, again, used to be maybe more of a global phenomenon. Now is very much domestic, uh, creates a lot of anxiety and, and I think concerns about the social safety net or lack thereof uh, is what I hear young people describe. And uh, it, it feels uh, overwhelming. A lot of times I'll hear the phrase, you know, the world is on fire. And, you know, you hear that from one client and, uh, you know, it sticks in your head, but if you hear it from half dozen clients in a handful of weeks, you start to realize that we're dealing with something that might be a little bit of an epidemic. Right. So in your experience, we're not making too much of this notion that we've come, you know, un almost untethered uh, in a sense as a society. No one starts their day, I don't believe, charting a course because of the war in Ukraine or uh, climate change. And yet, is it true that, that there is a kind of cumulative effect of those situations? that is producing uh, negative mental health outcomes. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I don't think this period is, you know, unique to modern human history per se, and it's not exactly my area of expertise, but I think the notion of chaos all around us, we can see dotted throughout the last century. Um, but for sure, in our lifetimes, I think this is an acutely challenging environment. And and I, I agree. I don't think, um, you know, it's acutely challenging uh, on a, a macro level, but I don't think we necessarily see it in a single instance so much as it's sort of in the air we breathe. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh. In, in, in a sense, is it, uh, that makes the problem, I think, more acute, because if it were one thing, or two things 
that seemed monumentally disturbing and it was affecting our behavioral health. Well, we could focus on that and hope maybe some of our actions could alleviate it. Or we, But when it seems to be everything, then I think we become, I guess, paralyzed. I mean, even the good stuff. Look, AI, uh, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence a little bit later, but even in that sense where on the one side of the ledger, they say this technology is going to change the world in ways we can't imagine for the better. Mm-hmm. The other side is also saying, unless it destroys everything. <laughs> so as a, you know, as a person who has anxiety problems to begin with, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with something like that when it could be either or, okay, we've set the stage. I happen to think this is a particularly unique moment. It has, has happened other times in history. Certainly Gutenberg's press changed the way the world was before the press and after. Uh, and certainly other technological events have occurred, but I think this is a particularly important moment. So I think it's big and and changing. How does a clinician like you, how's a professional like you, who sees people who are anxious, who are depressed, maybe self-medicating with drugs, how do you begin you know, putting that back together. Uh, begin with s- s- some symptoms, for instance. What are some of the things you see? Yes, sure. So, and I think that's that's exactly the right place to start. So I, I think for anyone listening to this podcast, living in the world um, and, and trying to get ahead of this to any extent, being aware of the effects it's having on you. I, I, you know, we talked about this like uh kind of slow boil and i I think that metaphor is right that you know the the frog right in the pot doesn't not realizing it's being boiled so i think being aware of basic symptoms of major depression or even dysphoria environmental depression low mood feeling down um is really important so that can be uh you know range from you know low mood itself irritability lack of energy, social withdrawal, change in appetite, change in uh, sleep patterns, and even suicidal thoughts. You know, the misconception I think about suicidal thoughts is that they're always sort of, um, they have what's what's called a high lethality, right? That that somebody um, intends to kill themselves, but passive suicidal thoughts are much more common in the clients I see, which is just this sense of things would be easier if, uh, if I didn't wake up in the morning or what would it be like to not have to, to manage these stressors? And, you know, that's a safety issue, but it's also diagnostic. So even if you're not a risk to yourself, you might notice I'm having these thoughts and that is a symptom of a depression or dysphoria. So mm-hmm. I think from the clinical side of things, just, just being aware of the, the gradual accumulation of those types of symptoms is really important. You used and, in some of the notes you sent me, you used a, a phrase, that I'd like you to expand upon called psychological flexibility. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So that kind of gets into a way of thinking about how to adapt our approach to um, some of these stressors. So to go back to what to look for, there's a concept called the cognitive triad. It's basically like a a super simple back of the envelope way to, to perhaps understand if you might be experiencing depression. And it's the way that we perceive ourselves, the world, and the future. And when we have negative views that are also fixed, I'm a bad person, the world is broken, and 
there is no hope for the future. That's an indication that we might be depressed. And psychological flexibility, you hear in mainstream, you hear that resilience over the last couple of decades is is really uh, prevalent, not just in psychology, but then in in different applications of of psychology, uh, such as in in, um, education, uh, even the military. Um, The Penn Resiliency Program is about teaching psychological flexibility, teaching resilience in soldiers. And that idea is fairly simple but hard to execute, which is the ability to hold two truths at the same time, to hold ambiguity. For instance, in in the military sense, are you saying that soldiers see horrors, but the practice of flexibility, psychological flexibility, keeps them on point? They can still do their job by keeping both thoughts in their head. This is a bad situation. I could get killed, but I have a job to do. Is that what that means in a simple form? Yeah, and I'll preface by saying I'm not in that, because it's such a, such an extreme uh, population. Soldiers in combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not an expert, and and I, I haven't trained soldiers, but I was recently reading about trauma, boning up on literature about trauma, and. Another thing that's misunderstood is two people can experience the same traumatic event and one person can develop PTSD and another person can process that experience themselves. Do we, let me stop you right there because it's a great point. Do we know why that is? What the one person possesses that the other doesn't? Is this this flexibility you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of things. But when you look at the active ingredients, what you see is this through line of being able to yeah, hold as you say, horrors of of uh, of combat, but at the same time, be able to uh, function. And on a more mundane, everyday level, you know, wake up. You you know, you're not really happy with your your job, or you know, you're worried economically. But you you know, you you put your shoes on and you go to work. And you, you know, you get through the day, move, moving on, where others might be paralyzed and, and in deep depression. That's right. There's actually a great quote that I wanted to dig up before our podcast, and I I couldn't track it down. Um, But it talks all about how a resilient soldier, and this is not always within our control, but we can cultivate skills around resiliency, but talked about seeing combat as a complex challenge that they have to manage that is extremely high stakes. Now, that sounds like a special individual to me that can be in the fog of war and see things like that. But um, if you dial that back to a civilian context, I, I think what you're describing is right, which is to not deny the um, the things that we see that we uh, that we perceive as as unjust, as terrifying, as cruel and unfair, but to not allow it to or to intervene so that it doesn't rob us of our sense of agency. Yes, exactly. Uh, I guess at one on one level, the beginning of despair and, and depression is this sense that nothing matters. That's exactly right. So we need to, we talked about that cognitive triad before, and you mm-hmm. start to think I'm a bad person, the world is broken, and uh, you know, we're doomed. And naturally what will flow from that is apathy or just complete you know, nihilism. And, you know, some people can have that um, <laughs> philosophy and good faith, but for other people, it's, it's a symptom of, of depression and it's often accessing the kind of darkest parts of ourselves. I don't, we're talking to Matt Sosnowski. Am I doing your name justice, Sosnowski? 
that's that works. Uh, Matt Sosnowski, the uh, psychotherapist. Um, this is the first time I've asked a professional in your field this question. Given what we've just talked about, this notion of flexibility, this notion that two people are looking at the same difficult situation, one can be traumatized, the other seems to roll with the punch. Um, is ignorance bliss? <laughs> That's a great question. There are studies on that, and the, the short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I look at the people that I, at first blush, I would go, well, that's a chowderhead, he, you know, <laughs> floating around out here like, you know, and then you go, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, we're all going to end up in the same place. And that guy seems okay. <laughs> that's a chowderhead I'd like to be. It's true. The smarter you are, oftentimes the more complexity you hold and therefore the more burdened you feel. It's a, it's a double-edged sword for to be sure. You also mentioned in our in our pre-conversations about this longitudinal study that I've read a little bit about coming out of Penn, where they've been looking at a, a lot of people over a very long period of time. I think it's, is it 80 years or something? Something like that, yeah. 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 Can you summarize briefly what they're seeing? Are, are we feeling better about the future in spite of mounting uncertainty? Are we the same? What are we finding out? You know, I, I think that study is, is might be more valuable for what we can glean about how to manage this uncertainty because it because it's longitudinal. I think it's telling us more about the you know the past eighty years than maybe what uh, what's happened over the the past couple decades. Um, but but from what I understand, it's sort of interesting. I, I think it, I, initially it was two independent studies that were conducted uh, in a vacuum, not, unbeknownst to one another. Um, the researchers are conducting studies, one on um, essentially privileged population, one on underprivileged population. And then I, I believe this is a sort of a meta-analysis of, of the results. And the primary takeaway, and this is is about as high level as as it gets in terms of, of what the researchers found, but what, what I'm seeing in interviews and in summaries of the book they put recently published called The Good Life, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, is that connection has the highest correlation with physical and mental health and also life satisfaction. So you mean people to, people to people connection? Yeah, relationship. So I think that's really relevant in a micro sense in terms of, you know, our, our closest family and friends. Yeah. Um, but I, I see it as well as an emphasis on community, which I mm-hmm. not just think and see, but, but have uh, seen research on the kind of deterioration of yes. community. <clears throat> Again, um, if they're seeing if they're seeing a long-term benefit to connection, connectivity among people, uh family, friends, organizations, as we get deeper into what I'm reading, is more and more isolation. It's the irony of social media is that it has not built community, it has isolated us. Absolutely. You see a lot of young people who spend a lot of time on social media, what do you tell them? Do you tell them to cut back? Do you say, you know, you're lonely because you think you have 250 friends on Facebook and they're not your friends. They're just people on a screen. Do you tell people to back off on some of this? Absolutely. Yeah. The the term that comes up most often is, is uh, empty calories. Uh, so you, people will say, you know, doom scrolling and uh, I fall down a, a Twitter rabbit hole or I got in sort of a, senseless argument from somebody I knew 15 years ago in high school 
who clearly has different beliefs than I do. And, and we're just in this unconstructive conflict online, right behind a keyboard. And I absolutely endorse uh, detoxing from, from social media, particularly yeah. and folks self-identify, you know, that notion of empty calories is a phrase I throw out, but they, almost immediately, if that's what's going on, it's for sure. They know it, they know that's kills the time, but uh, in ways that just leave you feeling uh, like you have stomach ache after. Well, it's just, it's remarkable. I think it's, it's subtle and people don't really appreciate what's happening to them, but I've been reading about the effect of ghosting. You know, ghosting, of course, is when you have a communication vir- virtually over social media, and then for whatever reason, the person stops communicating with you with no explanation, none whatsoever. They just ghost you. And the articles I've been reading say the effect on that is to cause people anxiety and depression and confusion. Why have they stopped being my friend? And you tell me, my take on that is, well, first of all, they weren't really your friend, (laughs) you know, in any meaningful sense. So why are you taking it so hard? But you see that phenomenon, right? Yeah, I do. And it's an interesting parallel to radical uncertainty because it talks about the nature by which we fill in gaps that don't have concrete explanations or, you know, clear contours. And typically when there's a void or often when there's a void, we fill it with our biggest fears and anxieties. So if somebody doesn't reply, oh, what did I say the wrong thing? Did I not look the right way? Did I do something to offend them? Um, when you look at the future and you don't know what's going to happen, oftentimes the inclination is, you know, am I going to be safe? Are my friends going to be safe? Am I going to be able to retire? Yeah. Have you seen the movie The um, Banshees of Intersheen yet? With uh... I, I, I have. I'm married to an uh, an Irish lass, so so that's uh, that's. Tasty. Oh uh, yeah, you must seen you must have seen every Irish movie. My wife loves them too. We love the we love Irish movies, but anyway without giving anything away, it is about in a very uh, untechnical way, because it takes place 100 years ago, right? Uh, Yeah, about 100 years ago, in this little village in Ireland, where two great friends, one just says, that's it, we're done, with no explanation. We're just done. And it crushes the other fellow. Uh, And I thought, what a metaphor. First of all, you know, it had to do with, I'm sure it had to do with the Irish situation at that time. Uh, but it was a sort of, for me anyway, an echo of what's going on. I mean, you know, people see friendships disappearing and it kills them. Yeah, uh, see, I don't know if you experienced this too, but as a, a viewer, I found it, especially the first half of the movie, before you know, get a little more clarity about what's going on. But I found it very kind of uh, upsetting and anxiety. No trouble. Yeah, absolutely. You looked at the behavior of the, of the fellow who broke off the relationship and it's um, – it, it's incomprehensible and it angers you. You know, you can't treat people like this. Right. But of, but of course, that's not the story is about how the other fellow handles it. <laughs> it's not so much what the uh, active guy's doing. Uh, I, there are a couple of things I want to get to. And I don't want to keep you forever. Sure. But uh, just this final notion about you mentioned existential psychotherapy uh, in a nutshell, because we'll have you back. What are we talking about? Yeah, so so maybe I can tie together um, that resilience conversation with some action steps and even the existential psychotherapy. But uh, so uh, I, I was thinking about this topic 
prior to coming on. And that came to mind, existential psychotherapy, which of course is, has its roots in, in existentialism, existentialist philosophy. And in psychotherapy, they identify four fundamental concerns, fears, truths, but mm-hmm. concerns is maybe the safest language. And that's death and mortality, meaninglessness, isolation, and freedom. These are these the four sort of immutable aspects of the human experience that we all hold. Uh, and this maybe goes back as well to the idea of is ignorance bliss. But, uh, you know, anybody who is introspective at all, I think, sort of grapples with one or several of those uh, truths from time to time or quite often, depending on how introspective you are. And the answer is not simple. The solution is not simple. But in the face of this uncertainty, first is confronting it or at least uh, looking these things in the face and not not hiding from them, which I think is really important. Kind of goes back to that idea of, of checking that, that we're not being slowly boiled uh, mm-hmm. in the pot. And uh, what we do about it, at least in, in existential theory and in, in existential psychotherapy, is to pave our own way to make our own meaning. And to me, you know, to use different language that that comes back to me to the idea of locus of control, right? So what can you influence in your life? What is out of your control? And, you know, without understanding that you can't uh, fix all these things, and, and maybe these things that we can't control will adversely affect us, maybe, maybe not. We can accept that reality and also make our own way, make our own meaning, make our own choices. And ideally, this idea of resilience, right? Holding two truths at once. Ideally, mm-hmm. you can access the best parts. Yeah. It's an expression. I mean, I certainly am familiar with existentialism, but I, I didn't know that as a uh, therapeutic um, technique, it, it was uh, so widely available. Let me ask you one other thing and then. Uh, we can we can kind of wrap this thing up in an oft used expression be in the moment be here now um is that a real thing is that something people really should be focusing on because it seems to me in a nutshell what we're talking about is in spite of the uncertainty in spite of everything all the forces working chaotically in our lives this is the moment that counts i, I mean uh, what did uh, faulkner said the past is not dead. In fact, it's never past. It's always with us, the past. Uh, And conversely, the future never arrives. It's never the future. It's just now. Now is, this is it, just now. Do we need to focus that more now for our mental health than ever? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a great point. I mean, I, there's always a balance, and, and maybe, maybe one day, next time I'm on, I could talk about this study. But it's about how we relate to past, present, and future, and where we derive um, the most life satisfaction and sometimes the most most distress. But I think with within the topic of uh, of this radical uncertainty, that idea of the, the here and now, that idea of locus of control, mm-hmm. and making choices that promote the you know that reflect who we are our center of gravity our values mm-hmm. uh, i think um yeah i think you're spot on and there's tremendous wisdom in there and if i could throw out another um turn of phrase that we use in our family in a lot of contexts but particularly against the backdrop of uncertainty 
is the idea, I believe, uh, Hemingway, uh, a movable feast, right? Mm -hmm. um, so beyond just locus of control, uh, you know, what can you control, but where is that coming from, right? Do you know your core values? Do you know mm. who and what you're about? Do you define those things? Do you reflect on them? And do you behave in a way that reflects who you are, who you want to be, who you want to be to the people around you? I think there's a certain, uh, a tremendous, not just uh, consolation, but empowerment in uh, the idea of having that center of gravity and behaving in uh, concert with those values um, such that we can be a movable feast. Maybe sometimes that feast is a little sparser than, yeah, than others. The, the situation is complex, but some of the solutions seem very simple. And very fun and very fundamental if you can just get down to them. Matt Sosnowski, Philadelphia Talk Therapy. How long ago did you uh, start your uh, company, your practice, I should say? During the pandemic in, in 2020, I was part of a group practice in D.C. And, and when my wife, daughter and I decided to move back to Philly, I rolled off that practice and, and uh, uh, opened my own. So, um exciting and uh happy to be back to philly but uh, of course still um many of my clients are still serving dc maryland virginia uh now that we're in this uh hybrid remote no yeah yeah. So. yeah and did the uh the return to philadelphia for your practice and your family didn't at all coincide with the fortunes of the football team incre increasing it, dramatically you know <laughs> <laughs> once we got that first one you know, Steve, you, I don't know if you feel the same way, but uh, that one was the big one. It's all gravy from here. You know what I tell people about that game? There have been lots of losses in Philadelphia that were crushing, and they stay with us, unfortunately, but none more so uh, than the most recent loss, because <laughs> unlike every other loss I've ever seen, Matt, that was the one that will always be the one that got away. <laughs> it was <laughs> right there. For the taking, and we lost it. Anyway, Matt, people want more information about, about you uh, and your practice. We'll have some uh, numbers up there for you as well. You got a website and all that, right? Yep. You're, ta you're, you're, taking, you're taking patients, right? I am, yep. I just expanded uh, my hours. So uh, daytime evenings and weekends are available in person uh, and, and remotely. Um, Both so in Philadelphia and D.C. for, for the remote uh, stuff? Yep, remote in uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and then uh, I have an office here in Philadelphia, so so I can serve uh, both preferences here for the clients in Philadelphia uh, as well as New Jersey. Great, Matt. Thank you for your time. I, you know, we only have a little time here, um, and this and the uh, radical uh, uncertainty we tried to tackle remains. <laughs> uh, maybe we made it a little less uh, scary. I hope so. Matt Sosnowski, again, Philadelphia Talk Therapy. You have a uh, standing invitation to come on this program anytime you want, talk about anything you want. I think you're uh, you're plugged into a, a lot of what uh, young people and everybody else, for that matter, are struggling with right now, an extraordinary time in, in our lives, pandemics, wars, and all of that. Matt Sosnowski, thanks for joining us on The Behavior Corner. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. And you guys as well. Don't forget, you know the drill. Uh, like us. Follow us, uh, although I'm a little paranoid about being followed, but that's okay. Uh, push the subscription button, do whatever it takes to join us on the Behavioral Corner. We'll catch you next time. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, 
we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.